to wealthy experts where we interview experts in their field so we can learn all the best ways, tools and tips that they use to build a wealthy life. I hope you enjoy the episode. This week, we have the genius, Tiffy Rubinat, our general manager, our fearless leader. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. You've been running Wealthy and Espanol. You've got a, quite a following over there. You've been extremely busy um, buying property, helping clients, running the business, um, traveling around. It's been awesome watching you grow that part of the business expand and just seeing the audience that you've that you've amassed around you and just the following that you've got. I, I'm um, I feel like we're now competition between the two podcasts. But thank you for joining us today. Hi, Dom. Thanks for that intro. Amazing. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm currently inside my my old study, my my newborn son's nursery now. That's why the background's all blurred behind me. Congrats. Uh, so you. you can share with the audience your new life. Yeah. Well, I'm now growing accustomed to less sleep and more coffee. So life's good. Life's good. I tell you, when you have children, it changes everything. They say that and, you know, very physically things change, but also like emotionally, spiritually, mentally, the way that you think about investing, you know, that selflessness comes around and you start thinking about your future in, in different, different ways. So how about you? What's been happening in your world? I mean, today, what we wanted to jump on and talk about is your investments, my investments and decisions that we've made and, and the plan and what we see for the future. Yeah, that's right. So first and foremost, welcome little Leo. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. I think as you evolve and you change um, life stage, you start changing your priorities and the way you invest, you evolve as an investor. So right now, I, I don't have any kids. I don't have a family. So I've been behaving in a certain way. And what's happening is I now own five residential properties. And I'm very aware that at some point, I need to get out of my comfort zone and go for that more advanced investor strategy and of course everything I've been doing has been working really well and I feel very comfortable so getting out of that comfort zone it's that struggle right but I know I have to take that next step this year probably like second half of the year that makes sense um you know I've got four residential one commercial so yeah five properties as well um, and, you know, your priorities start to shift, you start capping out your, your, your debt to income ratio starts maxing out. Um, as investors, we start maturing and looking for different types of opportunities. Um, can you talk a little bit about your last investment? What brought you to doing it, how it's performing and then what you see going forward? Yeah, for sure. So we would have probably discussed this in an episode around, I want to say March 2021, where I was buying um, townhouses in an area called Wyndham Vale in Melbourne. It's four beds, two and a half baths, two car spots, close 
a train station around freight when I decided to proceed and purchase this property the land wasn't registered which means that um, I had to actually wait to settle on the land um, and that happened around July last year so all along um, this has become one of the most popular um, projects that we have at Wealthy especially within the Latin community. I think we all behave similarly in that we like value for money. Um, and it was great value. Um, we're seeing, we still have from time to time some of these packs come in. It's becoming so much harder to get a hold of townhouses in this particular area, especially with land registered or registering soon. Um, because everyone in the last two years has gone out and purchased land in Australia. Um, right now, what we're seeing is that developers are releasing um, land that will get all of the amenities and infrastructure like the house, like the, sorry, the streets and the electricity and everything needs to be completed in order for a land to be registered and for titles to change name. And timelines are looking right now like land registering mid 2023 right so a year year and three months away from that so my my property is now under construction um we're estimating the build will be completed before end of year and we're seeing that packs have gone up in price around that 75k mark since i purchased it so it's pretty exciting times because um, I own a property, it's, it has been performing really well. And just so to give some context, we're talking the, the, the price range that we're discussing, it was great value for money, around the 500k mark purchase price, right? So going up in value 75k, it's a really, really nice win in just 12 months. Yeah, and especially because you were able to negotiate some some delayed deposits, there was some government incentives, there was reduced stamp due. There was a number of different things that at each point it sweetened the deal. And you were very quick about putting the deal together, identifying it and going for it. Um, and yeah, it's a testament to you, your vision and uh, what you were trying to achieve. It's, it's happened very, very quickly. And now you're reaping the benefits of, of that. So just to dive in a little deeper as well. So you've had 10, 20% price growth and you're thinking now at completion, you want to use this investment as now uh, your investment as a benchmark to looking at something different. Is that right? Correct. And that's the whole reason why I started saying that probably I will be investing second half of the year. I want to like plans are plans and they can change. But at this point in time, my plan is to release equity once the construction is completed. So you're absolutely right, Dom. At that point in time, early 2021, the Victorian government was giving 50% discounts on stamp duty. There were a lot of things for grabs and we were coming out of a period where um, it was mostly owner occupiers pushing the market. And whenever we chatted to investors, investors were a bit on the fence. There were a lot of people who were convinced that by the time that JobKeeper and JobSeeker ended, the market would crash. Like we had early 2020, 
CBA predicting prices would decline 30% in the next two years. And suddenly the market has been pumping and yeah, it's just amazing. Um, and I thought at that point in time, this is the best time to be buying when like everyone's on the fence. That's when you want to make the most out of opportunities. And I, I don't regret it for one second. It was a great decision to buy at that point in time. So with knowing what you do now, you know, it was a really good time for you to invest back in March when there was peak fear and there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, very different circumstance now. The markets run 20, 30% across, you know, most of the states. Um, do you think that the best deals are now behind us? And where, what opportunities do you think people aren't paying attention to now you know i'm kind of i'm, I'm guiding the question a little bit because i've got some ideas but you know um where do you think there are some opportunities now there's still some really good things to be buying yeah that's a great question and i think it's always a good time to buy when you know how to look for opportunities so my philosophy is that if everyone's going one way i don't like following the masses and for instance, I've been pretty open in the past saying I'm not a fan of Queensland, for instance, um, for like 30 years, no one wanted to buy property in Queensland and the last two years because of COVID, everyone went there. I like Queensland, but not the cheap parts of Queensland. So there are some very nice spots full of potential. When we look at demand and supply, we can still see more demand coming and supply is tight, limited, it's restricted. And I like that, but I wouldn't go and buy for the sake of being cheap and that's it, especially because cheap areas has, have plenty of supplies. So I'm not interested in that. Now, where I see the opportunities are usually, I, I think people have been hearing me for a while say this. Um, I like areas that have seen growth but not ridiculous growth. So for instance, Melbourne, Melbourne is still probably my top choice. I think Melbourne has performed really well. 15% annual growth is an outstanding growth. It's just that people compare it to Queensland or Sydney that have seen 20 to 25% growth, right? And I'd rather go where not everyone is going. I'd rather look for those opportunities that are there because for instance, Melbourne really struggled in the last two years. They had the longest lockdowns on earth, right? And I come from Argentina and they had a horrible nine month lockdown and Melbourne surpassed it. So it's ridiculous. And that's where the opportunity lies because they really struggled. Borders were closed and people were trying to leave Melbourne because of lockdowns. That's where big, really nice opportunities came out of. And right now what we're seeing is the, the prices and when you compare prices between Sydney and Melbourne, they're competing uh, cities, like they're tier one cities, they compete with New York, they compete with London, and the price gap has really widened. So I think that Melbourne has a lot of catch up to do with Sydney, especially now finally borders have opened for everyone. And when migration starts coming in, little by little every month, we'll see more and more positive migration. People like that coming to Australia need to go where employment is, and that's 
Sydney and Melbourne mostly, right? And if you have similar employment, similar salaries, similar infrastructure, and the cost of living in Melbourne is now significantly cheaper than that of Sydney, Melbourne is super attractive as a city. Pre-pandemic, it, it was the fastest growing population. And we know the Victorian government will try to incentivize migrants going again towards Victoria. So I think there's a lot of upside still for prices to go up, for rental incomes to go up, for population to go up, all sorts of opportunities. I agree with you. I really do agree with you. I think that Melbourne is an amazing opportunity. I think that, you know, people would shoot me to say that I like Melbourne apartments. But if you're thinking about that price gap, houses have soared. The price gap between apartments and houses has been, it's the biggest it's basically ever been. And we will see in the short to medium term some really good growth, but also over the long term, you're right, Melbourne will uh, outpace or have a bigger population than Sydney by 2028, roughly. So let's just call it the next property cycle. We will see some really good price growth. Um, it's, it's hard to look past the Melbourne market. I agree with you. We do um, throw a bit of shade towards Brisbane. But I actually really like Queensland. I want to put it out there. I really like Queensland. I look at investments in Queensland all the time. There are markets in there that I think are death traps. And, um, you know, because there's been all-time le levels of sh supply shortages for land, hard to get building materials for them to go and get the land registered, concrete, steel, to build the roads, to do that type of stuff. And because we've had the, the huge amount of population coming in from Melbourne into Brisbane, as well as the release of the Olympics, Big hype, low supply, prices have pumped. I'm scared to see what will happen over the next three years in those price-sensitive estates where we will see a lot of supply come and maybe the demand will come off a little bit. I don't know. I just don't think we're going to see the same price growth that we have seen. From a long-term perspective, some of those key markets, the really good affluent areas, lifestyle locations i really like um and i'll come back to that in a minute because i think that this is a systemic change people will keep on going to brisbane because of lifestyle because of affordability um and because of like weather it's pretty pretty nice up there except for right now there's um floods um yeah i think there's some really good opportunities there and sydney is what it is it's the creme de la creme but it's just difficult to get into this market it is and yeah. And I agree with you, people like having rules of thumb and things change all the time. Now, when we look at apartments, um, some people like them, some people don't. I absolutely agree that this is probably one of the best times to be buying apartments simply because that price gap has widened so much between apartments and um, houses. And we've already started seeing, um, whereas in the first year of COVID, um, people were like looking for going a bit further away and, and demand for apartments for rentals had gone down. Prices of rentals in apartments have started going up and they have been going up for the last six months. And I don't doubt for one second that they have catch up to do and they will keep increasing. Mm. So right now with that, price difference between houses and apartments and rental incomes like going up already, 
I think this is the perfect time, right? So again, if you ask me about, and, and, and in that sense, I, I don't just like Melbourne as a market. Um, I, I love cash flow. So Canberra is usually one of my preferred markets. Canberra has um, the highest salaries and highest rental incomes in Australia. Um, it attracts really good quality tenants. And very surprisingly, like Canberra has per performed amazingly over the last two years. And houses have become more expensive in Canberra than Melbourne, but apartments are still more affordable than in Melbourne. So apartments in Canberra are that really nice combo and they deliver great yields. So that's mm -hmm. why that's probably my second preference when it comes to the market. And you know, it's funny because people will look at these investments and they'll say, but it, will the apartment grow as fast or as hard as a house? More often than not, it won't. Historically, it won't. But the better way to think about it is, will this investment achieve my outcomes? Do Will this investment, it's what you can afford, firstly. So if you can't afford a house, it is what it is. Get into what you can afford. And secondly, will it achieve my outcomes? I have had apartments and they've been great stepping stones where I've been able to make $100,000 that I couldn't have saved or $200,000 that I couldn't have saved myself and use the equity from these investments or sold them to take the cash and buy something bigger and a project that was more advanced. And so I think to use the investments as stepping stones as a means to an end is a better way to think about these investments, not as the property that I'm going to get married to for the next 50 years, you know? Mm -hmm. And Dom, you said something super important because you also have to compare apples with apples, right? So people saying that an apartment won't grow in value as much as a house, it, you're not comparing same cities and same suburbs. That's not a fair comparison, right? So um, I, I would choose um, an, an apartment in Canberra, for instance, over um, cheap house and land in Queensland. That's my preference. I know first and foremost, I have a lot of experience with bad quality tenants <laughs> and I would try to avoid the cheap, cheap suburbs uh, of Queensland. So I, I know that when I go to Canberra, you have almost 70% of employment is government, super high salaries, the government keeps growing. A lot of people move to Canberra thinking they're only gonna be there one or two years to to make the most out of these big salaries and then move wherever they visualize themselves moving. And what ends up happening is that lifestyle in Canberra is way better or more beautiful than what they could envision. And five years have gone by and then they realize, okay, if I'm going to stay, I need to buy my own home, right? So we're attracting high quality tenants with high disposable incomes, housing combined with a um, housing shortage that Canberra has seen for many, many years. So to me, it's like, why, why, right? Like, I, I don't need to just for the sake of having land. It's what am I trying to achieve? It, will this property, like some things you can quantify, but the quality of tenants, it's something that it's very hard to quantify. And that to me is very important because I learned the hard way. 
Yeah, well, that's just peace of mind. It's hard to quantify peace of mind. So, you know, moving on, I want to talk a little bit about my investments just because, you know, you and I, we catch up and we do this. Um, since, since we caught up, I obviously bought a house in Nelson Bay. It was an emotional purchase. It was, you know, um, I've, I've bought a number of brand new apartments, houses and things and commercial real estate. This for me was a selfish thing. This was me self-actualizing. You know, I wanted to buy something that was small, attainable, that I could then work on and start dusting off my, you know, workman boots and start and get my hands dirty. So it's been a great project. I managed to get in here, buy it relatively cheap. The market ran as we said it would. We said regional centers would go. We said lifestyle locations would go. The market grew like 30 odd percent. Um, Charlotte and I have now had our baby. We're nesting. We're having a great time and it's a beautiful location. And the cool thing about it is we've got a bit of equity. Um, it counts as our own homes. At some point, we may choose to sell it and realize the profits and then do it again. So I'm very happy just to kind of put some numbers around it. We, we were lucky. We bought it for like $650. Now it's valued at maybe you know $900 to a million or something. Um, it's a good win. I didn't think it was going to grow that much, but it did. Um, and it's cool because as your own home, it counts as tax-free money. Now, let me just say and make this very, very clear. This has come at no small expense, both from cash, from time, and also just stress. Dom, can, can we deep dive into those three? Because let's start with cash. People... I have plenty of conversations of people saying, if I buy something old, I, they think they're going to spend less money. And actually, anything used that you have to go and renovate is super money intensive. It requires you to have a lot of cash available and things don't go the way you plan them, right? Never, never. And I've been doing this for years and years. My dad's a project manager, manages hundreds of millions of dollars worth of projects. I've got family and friends that are in um, this industry and building. So for me, we bought it with a 20% plus cost. So it was 130,000 plus a stamp duty. It's another 25, it's like 150K cash. Then to do the renovations, to bring it up to scratch because it's an old weatherboard, crappy kitchen, shitty carpets, tearing down walls, bathroom didn't work, like disaster. Ended up spending about $70,000 cash but that was at um, severely discounted rates. If someone off the street were to try and do what we did, not to toot our own horn, you'd be spending at least a hundred to one hundred thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, and that's very important. Like your your dad played a massive role in helping you out in in getting a hold of cheaper materials and and doing like work ourselves. Exactly. Tearing down walls, putting in beams, buying raw materials and doing the manpower. So putting sheeting up, plastering ourselves, painting ourselves. You know, it was very, very labor intensive. Tiffy, I don't remember if you know what I was like during that time. And I was exhausted. I can tell you Dom has a massive defect, which is he forgets how painful it is. So <laughs> he does this, he hates it. And then the stick Six months later, like he's forgotten about how painful it was and he dreams about doing it again and he never learns his lesson. <laughs> right, Dom? Well, it's for the love of it. And that's the other important point. 
for me, it's more than just making money because if it was just making money, I would have bought something else. This made money. It's done well and we're, we're doing well. But if it was purely a money-making exercise, there would have been other investments I would have chose. Um, it, for me, it was, and I'm lucky and a lot of our clients that aspire to get to this point where we've got a pool of assets that are making me like 50 plus thousand dollars in passive income, which is pretty good. So this, that's a pool of assets. There's been a pile of equity. So I did all my really good, solid bread and butter, standard investing that's made my money. And this for me was a passion project. It was something I was excited about and I knew it was going to be painful, but the passion was there and I wanted to do it. Which leads me to my next investment. I want to finish this project and depending on the exit, we may do it again. And again, it's, it's because it's something that I'm enjoying. You know, we might look at doing something else, buying another home, because when you have children now, everything changes. Dom, I was going to ask, how would you see, because you've lived in the same place you were renovating. Uh, and sometimes you had to commute. At, at one point in time, at the beginning, you were living at your mom's house and commuting almost two hours every day, backwards and forwards. Three hours every day. Yeah. And then you moved in and you were like in the final part of it, you were living whilst being under construction. Now you have a baby and we talked about life cycles. Can you handle that with a baby? No, it has to be done differently. There's no construction dust. We're not going to be making noise and things with a baby. So that drives the expense up even more. It means you've got to go live somewhere, buy something, renovate. It becomes extremely cumbersome. Um, and it's not something I'd recommend if it's just a money-making exercise again. Like it does make money, but it comes at a severe cost. Cash, emotions, relationships, time. It's, it's painful. It's very, So very from painful. a timeline perspective, when do you think you'll be doing your next property? I think I'll be doing my next property. Uh, I'm already started hunting now. Okay. I've already started looking. Um, I do, you know, months of research, canvassing the market. Um, and I don't think we'll be buying anything until we finish this. So I'd say by the end of this year, it should be complete. Um, probably next year, I'd say I'd be looking at buying something by the, by the end of this year, maybe early next year, I'd be looking to buy something else. Um, I'm not trying to time the market for me. It's just a matter of buying the right thing as I see it. And when we can afford it, <clears throat> And that's, that's how I'm thinking about it. I think you and I are similar in that we have timelines in our head because we're considering remortgages and moving and this and that. But then if the right opportunity comes by, we we know that we need to act fast when good opportunities come by. And so maybe your timelines are affected and you just make it work. If you have to go and raise the money or get it elsewhere, you just make it work, right? Of course, our pain threshold has gone up massively with time and experience in the market um and it's something we would not recommend someone who's just starting and doesn't know how to raise money for instance right yeah. um but th that's the thing like it's it's one of the most important things is recognizing good opportunities and when they come by you have to make the most of it yeah and and you know you, you've got to kind of almost always be in the market in a way that's what we do as um, professionals. 
we live and breathe real estate. So I'm always in the market. I'm always on realestate.com. I'm always reading research reports. You know, we're always talking about types of real estate areas, population growth, demographic shifts, you know, price increases, vacancy rates. This is something we're always talking about every single day. And it, it's hard to not want to buy all the things that we're looking at. Um, and it'd be very difficult if you're not doing it every day to be have your finger on the pulse and know what value is and to be able to execute so quickly. That's the hardest, probably. I know I need to get out of my comfort zone and probably go into something that isn't residential. But when we're looking for opportunities at Wealthy and we go into investment committee every month and, and analyze deals, when I see an amazing deal, I want to be buying it. I cannot buy everything, but that's where I'm saying like my plan is to probably like go into that next step. But if something wonderful comes along, I don't want to lose sight of my objectives and what I'm trying to achieve. But if it still fits that end objective and I recognize an amazing deal, I might change plans really. Yeah, I understand. And the thing is, it's hard to get past residential because the the loan to value ratio is so high. Mm, it is. Lending on, on residential is easier and you can get way more borrowing. So for every dollar that you put in, you can go and get five or 10. So it's hard to not go past that. Where in commercial for every dollar, you might go and get two or three. And interest rates are another thing, right? So when we talk about residential, you get great loan-to-value ratios and then interest rates are always working in our favor. I know trending topic is people starting to see what's going to happen with the RBA and the cash rate going up. So when, when the RBA starts lending money to banks, at a higher interest rate, then that's when us mortals who get mortgages can see our interest rates going up. So we know that originally the plan was to keep that cash rate at 0.1% um, till 2024. And now what we're hearing in the market is that most likely by mid-2023, um, the RBA will say, okay, Australia has recovered way faster than what we expected from this pandemic. And we might start increasing rates slightly Maybe sooner. Now. Maybe even within by the end of the year, Tiffy. And practically, even though the RBA may not increase its rate yet, banks are increasing their rates. Banks are increasing, but let's make it clear. Banks are increasing fixed rates because of what we're saying. When people start freaking out, variable rates are still what they are. And... For investors, it's a great thing. Like once you purchased an investment property, we know that like history tells us that rental incomes grow faster than that uh, increase in whether it's inflation or the interest rates, right? So if I were buying my own home and that mortgage is paid out of my salary, and my cost of living starts going up and my salary isn't increasing as much, I would probably start being concerned about it. But when all of my properties, I, I don't own the place where I, where I live. I actually apply the rent vesting strategy. I rent where I want to live and I own where it makes sense. Every single um, piece of this whole puzzle that we're saying, I'm already get, ripping the benefits of rental incomes going up. Yeah, you just put your rents up. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny. So when interest rates increase, 
debt becomes more expensive. They'll say less people are buying properties. If they're not buying properties, what are they doing? They're renting them. You know what I'm saying? Because the largest part of the market that moves that are buying properties are not investors. The vast majority of people buying homes are owner-occupiers. So if you get 20% people, less people buying their own home, they've got to live somewhere still. They're going to go rent. They're going to continue renting. They're going to put more pressure on the rental system. When the borders open back up, tourism comes back in, migration comes back in, this is all pressure on the rental system. So if interest rates go up, we're going to see increases in the rents. So I would be way more scared to be buying my own home and getting so much debt than buying another investment. Another investment is the way to go, especially if you can go and lock some rates away. And look, this isn't financial advice, but just thinking things through and what I'm doing right now is I can see fixed rates are going up. Now, if I want to make sure that my costs don't keep on going up, it makes sense for me to lock them in at a rate that I think is fair. So I have that uh, assurance that this is where my cost base is going to be. And as I start to increase my rents, the margin between my income and my debt, the expenses will start to get more and more and my income will keep on growing. So that's how I'm thinking about my investments. Yeah, and that's right. Um, um, if we, st- we think about how we started recording this episode and talking about how it was 2020 and the market was being driven by owner occupiers and investors were in like on the fence trying to see what would happen and it was the best of times to be buying, we, we're probably seeing the market is still super hot everyone's buying nonstop and we are expecting growth market growth but at some point we cannot keep seeing 25% annual growth right like that's not sustainable in the long term so we know at some point in the next 2 years the market will start slowly dialing down still growth but not necessarily as fast as we've been seeing it in the last 2 years and my message to people out there is it's always a great time to invest and just like 2020 and 2021 were the best of markets to be investing and people were on the fence, don't hesitate it because there's still going to be great opportunities to invest in. And you don't have to be scared about what people are saying about interest rates if you're doing it as an investment. Yeah. And the thing about what we're doing is we're peering into the future. Mm-hmm. Just because a market isn't moving today doesn't mean it won't move in three or five years from now. What we're trying to do as investors is not follow the herd. It's we're trying to see where the herd's going to go to. We're trying to pick the pasture in three or four years from now. We know the sheep are moving in this direction. So we want to be ahead of them. So that's the, that's the hardest thing for people to conceptualize. Today, the market's running off, blah, blah, blah. Tomorrow, the market might be dipping off, blah, blah. This is noise. What we need to be paying attention to is the macro movements, what people are doing, where population growth is going, where investments in infrastructure are going. Don't worry about today. Today will sort itself out. We need to pay attention to what we can afford, what we can buy, set the strategy and aim towards the future. doesn't matter what the cycle is doing. And we always talk about doing that 1% every day. Um, If you've heard Dom and my story today, we talk about purchasing every year and a half. Um, I've I've been able when I started to buy quite a few in in just three months, 
but usually the, the start and, and they keep going. It's always about like doing one every year, year and a half, two years, and trying to keep going and keep building. It doesn't happen overnight, but you do have to have that consistency. If you're aiming, for instance, for financial freedom or a better future, whatever it is that you're trying to build, you cannot achieve it just by buying one property and forgetting, right? You need to be consistent and have a strategy and a plan in place. So no matter whether the cycle is going up, down, sideways, whatever, just you have to keep building that, that better future. So I think, Dom, if you ask me, if I could buy now, I would be. I do need to wait for my remortgage. I, I don't want to be doing stupid things with my money. So I, I there's... I like a measured risk and I always want to make sure that I've, I've followed through and completed one stage before I go to the next. So message out there is you a have to get started. And if it feels slower than what you were hoping for, just always keep progressing. And one every two years, it's a great one. If, if you can do that every 10, like in 10 years, you'll have five, right? That's pretty good. Yeah. And I mean, like, you do get capped at a point because you're just your income, your servicing maxes out. But then you just look at what investments you've got today. Do I need to recycle my debt? Do I need to sell this? Do I need to change this for something else? You know, do I need to be strategic? Should I be buying a property with a friend now? Because I can get 300,000 debt. They can get 300,000 debt. We'll do it together. It's about being strategic. It's about looking for the opportunities and seeing what we're trying to achieve rather than where are all the problems and why can't I do it today? Tiffy, it's always good talking to you. Thank you so much for jumping on the show. For all of you out there, if you've enjoyed watching, listening, please share, please like, leave comments, engage in the conversation. If you speak Spanish, go over to Wealthy and Espanol and watch Tiffy's podcast as well. Um, we love you all. Thank you for your attention and we'll see you next month now. Toodaloo.